Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss Blood Memory, the 11th episode of the fourth season of Supergirl. So the previous episode, we had the sort of plot twist, the reveal that Alex has to erase her memory of Kara being Supergirl. And we're kind of seeing the fallout of that within this episode. Ha, fallout. (laughs) Wasn't that the name of a previous episode? Yeah. (laughs) So when we start out the episode, everything seems sort of normal. Kara's hosting game night and mm-hmm. Alex is apparently kicking everyone's butt at exploding <laughs> kittens, which excellent. <laughs> Thought you would like that. <laughs> and Kara and Alex are apparently the unbeatable team because they know each other so well. So of course, we have to see how Alex no longer knows everything about Kara. And it's funny because this is not the first time that we've had a similar sort of scene with the space fam at game night. In season three, we had Marin and they were playing charades and then he shapeshifted into the astronaut, if you recall. Oh yeah, when he cheated. <laughs> yes. And then later on in the conversation, he couldn't remember the name of of Jean's childhood imaginary friend, Zook. So there's kind of a beat there of Jean recognizing that Marin's dementia was affecting him in that way. So it's kind of a parallel situation we have here where Carr is recognizing that Alex is having that sort of gap in her memory because she doesn't remember what Carr's favorite movie is, which is, of course, The Wizard of Oz. Which is kind of funny because actually Saturday night, I was like singing somewhere over the rainbow and <laughs> pondering how Carr would have found the part in the movie where it transitions from black and white to color like weirdly relatable because of the like hyper senses and i was like huh that's true neat (laughs) (laughs) and now sad (laughs) yes this felt like a it felt like a scene that we could have written because there was the beat of alex not remembering what car's favorite movie is and i'm like it's wizard of oz of course um A fun sort of insight that we got was perhaps Carr's second favorite movie. (laughs) (laughs) That was entertaining. That was definitely a nod to um, kind of Melissa's background. She studied ballet for a long time. So Alex goes for Center Stage, which came out in 2000. I don't really remember this movie, but apparently Carr was obsessed with learning the dance at the end of the movie. And I went back and rewatched it and laughed a lot. Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, neat things. Alex mentions that Kara learned the dance within a summer and also that she broke multiple lamps in the process. <laughs> um, so I'm like, all right, so Alex remembers certain things that probably se- would seem weird if you right. didn't know that Kara is naturally prone to breaking things because, because of she just does. Super uh, speed <laughs> ballet. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the part that's crazy is like that she learned all of it and it's, it's difficult enough that like you would have had to have studied ballet for years to be able to do it so she was cheating and or extra special clearly <laughs> so we learned one of Kara's other favorite movies we also inadvertently learned about alex's favorite movie which was a choice <laughs> <laughs> bb's favorite movie <laughs> <laughs> not even a little this was alex's favorite movie and i honestly don't understand why other than it's like mind i could see this being like mindless entertainment when you're like i wonder if it was secretly like she watched it with her dad or something well she mentions specifically terminator 2 and arnold schwarzenegger is the like you know, robot from the future. Yeah. But he's a good guy in this one. And then Sarah Connor's like son Uh becomes close to him and he becomes like a father figure. And you know, Alex. (laughs) I see where we're going with this. (laughs) It includes a small child and father bonds. Yes. And then it's funny though, because it's a robot and then Jeremiah is like cyborg. Oh yeah. Oh, awkward. (laughs) But he turned out to be the bad version from the first movie. (laughs) So obviously, Carr is a little bit upset, and then Alex conveniently gets interrupted by a work call on her phone. Yeah. It's immediately weird when she goes to go away, and Alex is like, oh, it's okay. Do you stay here, my human sister? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I'm a little more interested in knowing, like, where does Alex think her parents got Kara? Like, (laughs) (laughs) the village child store. (laughs) (laughs) They ordered her off the internet. (laughs) Like when Alex was looking at baby websites. Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Yahoo orders. Amazon's a different superhero. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They sculpted her out of clay. (laughs) 
how much do kids with adopted siblings really think about the process? I mean, she was 15 years old, so she should remember. 14, actually. 14, 15. Yeah. Well, um, with a situation where Alex has all these missing memories, mm. you, you don't know that they're missing unless you go looking for them. True. <laughs> I know, but I feel like somebody should have, like, quality assurance tested this before they, like, released right. her into the wild. Like, yeah. Well, Jean didn't expect it to be as deep a dive as it ended up being to, like, affect her whole personality. Uh, clearly not, although I question why you wouldn't assume that. <laughs> I don't know. They were like, this is what we have to do, so we're not going to think too hard about how bad it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of Alex's like, well, we have to do it, so let's just do it. Uh, <laughs> and we'll deal. Classic Alex. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of our catchphrases here at Supergirl's Attic. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, I will protect my sister, whatever the cost is to me personally, and everyone else is like, no! that's not the right mentality (laughs) Uh, yeah so then we have that little exchange right in the apartment and then we have the exchange between Supergirl and Mm. Alex at the start of the episode as opposed to later and it's immediately weird again this is sort of the thing I was looking forward to seeing the like distance and how that turns out on the screen and Kara tries to have a normal exchange with Alex it's almost like she's forgetting that things are going to be weird now yeah although I guess maybe it hadn't occurred to her like a lot of viewers that alex wouldn't have an established positive concept like friendship with supergirl where supergirl would be calling her alex yeah well but i mean in fairness to Kara, she wasn't like excessively friendly but no yeah yeah she just called her alex was really the she's like that to everybody (laughs) she is well and what's interesting is when alex goes to correct her she kind of pulls this face it's like she feels bad about what she's about to say but then doubles down and says it with an authoritative tone anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then you see Kara's like regret. And it just reminded me of the moment back in season one when Kara corrected General Lane when General Lane had referred to Alex as Agent Danvers because at the time Alex was the acting director and she's like, and it's Director Danvers. Yeah. <laughs> on behalf of Alex. So she like values the title and thinks that Alex deserves the sort of formality of it. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting for her to be in the situation where she did a thing that she wouldn't have wanted to have done. <laughs> See, now, part of me has been kind of looking forward to this realization that Kara needs to have of exactly how not like everyone else she is treated. <laughs> and it definitely comes out a lot more as we get later into the episode. It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having this discussion with people before because in season two, you have that moment where Alex gets really aggressive with the prisoner when they're trying to figure out what happened with Jeremiah and Lillian and everything. And Kara's really taken aback by all of the things that Alex is doing. And I remember saying, I was like, yeah, but Kara's never really gotten to see that up close because most of the time when it comes out, it's Alex on behalf of Kara. Yeah. And Kara's the one in trouble and she benefits from it. So she's never seen it from the outside. And so I'm like, hmm, this will be interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm personally looking forward to Kara realizing that she's now on the same level as everybody else. Yeah. And then making herself no longer on the same level of everybody else. <laughs> well, because that's really what it was. We've kind of been going back and forth on this. I've gotten like nine questions just today. Um, <laughs> but Alex is very slow to warm up to people. And I think I described it as like her circle of people who matter and who she's like comfortable with is a triangle. And it's Kara, Jean, and her mom basically (laughs) and like everybody else is like if your life is not in danger i don't care (laughs) (laughs) oh man she needs to get out (laughs) (laughs) she does i wonder if the narrative will get to that Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) do we know something wild idea (laughs) what a concept (laughs) but the way that she interacted with Kara is not actually all that different than the way that she's interacted with other people who we've seen her initially meet as a stranger Mm -hmm. in previous seasons of the show like she was very mistrustful kind of of when and james initially took her like a whole year to warm up to them yeah and a lot of it was like these people really care about Kara and are her close friends like for instance the Black Mercy episode when she's like mm. they should be here and it was because of Kara yeah she was you know similarly initially kind of hostile when she first met Maggie in season two 
she kind of always has a little bit of an edge with Lena <laughs> for reasons. Uh, <laughs> assorted reasons. Assorted reasons. And I was like, please don't anybody put those two in a room right now because that could <laughs> oh, go no. badly that would- in a lot of different ways. But yeah, she's naturally very reserved. And if she doesn't know you well, she's not going to be like, we're friends now. Mm-hmm. And the important thing to recognize with this is like Alex has never had a relationship to Supergirl. <laughs> Supergirl's not even a person to her. Supergirl was always Kara. Yeah. So when you take that out, she's just like, hello, strange person who's being overly friendly. What is this? <laughs> like, See, that's one of the reasons that makes this especially sad is that Alex has an entire like concept of who Kara is that incorporates all her yeah. different identities. So when you split them, they can't really split easily. Yeah. It's just there's Kara who she has less information about now. And which is also funny since the Haru now split Kara too. Uh, <laughs> lots of similarities there, which we'll also talk about. We sure will. And then there's Supergirl who's like, I don't know her. <laughs> I think of it as new number who this. <laughs> Oh, no. (laughs) It's too accurate. I hate it. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, so she has no established, like, rapport relationship with her. Yeah. Yeah. Because every time that she interacted with who she thinks of as Supergirl, it was Kara. Exactly. (laughs) She's like, oh, no, my little sister's dying of kryptonite. (laughs) And a lot of that's tied into her perception of Supergirl as well. That She's never, all the times that she saw Supergirl in trouble, it was like, that's Kara. And now she doesn't have that, like, memory of all those experiences experiences that she shared with her on that emotional level. So they both react in their own ways that are still very in character to this weird rift that Alex doesn't really know is there, but on some subconscious level does. (laughs) Yeah. So Kara, we actually noticed very early in the episode, right when when Alex is getting up to walk out and they have that little exchange, you can see Kara's easel in the background, which I know you like to pay attention to, Kara's paintings. Yes, I do. So there was one that popped up for the first time in season three, which was when Kara was like depressed and it's this like dark blue painting with a sort of glowing white middle and I've nicknamed it the depression painting <laughs> because I sort of correlate it with that time in her life where she was feeling low and at the time reflecting on her time in the phantom zone mm. and her time trapped in the pod because of what she had just done to Monel and how she thought that he had died in that manner. So this painting was sort of looming in the background for most of the season and then later on when things kind of lightened up it went away I think to the beach painting yeah which there's a few different ones that the set dressers rotate through and I think the beach one is meant to be more associated with like her earth home perhaps like Midvale because Midvale is like that you can see the water from their house Mm -hmm. yeah so we haven't seen the depression painting at all this season the last one that was up was like a little mini one that I haven't seen before but it reappeared in this episode which I found fitting given the situation and was clearly deliberate yes Things suck again. Not quite at the same level emotionally as the top of season three, but... Yeah. Well, I said to you that in the scene where she's talking to James, the look on her face was very reminiscent of all the times we've seen her talk about, like, losing her family and Krypton. Yeah. Good acting choice. Signature abandonment face. Well done. (laughs) Yes. So we talked in the previous episode about how this situation may make Kara feel lonely and how abandonment is, like, one of her biggest issues really tied into how she was sent away in that pod and was alone for all that time in the Phantom Zone. Yeah. Well, and then in season two, in um, the episode with the White Martians, when they attack the DEO, she mentioned specifically that when that happened to her at that moment in time, she didn't fully understand what she was losing. Mm. But that now that she's an adult and with Alex and her new family, she does recognize what she's losing when she's losing it. And she's like, and it scares me and it hurts mm-hmm. more Yeah, because I know how it feels already. So she's kind of like in that place now. Yeah. And it was also interesting because in this episode, we had Nia go home to her family and a lot of discussion of dreams. And we found out that her mother, who also has that prophecy dream power, paints her dreams. And that just made me think of the depression painting because Kara was having nightmares. Mm, in the beginning. of Yeah, about Monel, about the pod and the blackness of space. That's what she mentioned to him when he eventually returned. Well, and then related to that, actually, when we see the flashback in Midvale, Kara has dream catchers over her bed. Hmm, yes. So we can kind of infer that Kara also paints her dreams in a way, or her nightmares. Well, that's not a terrifying thought. <laughs> 
It's processing. It is. And that's why I brought it up because coping skills. Coping skills, yes. And one of the other coping skills that we see in this episode that Kara uses, which is very classic Kara <laughs> to steal Axe's phrase. Kara sort of tunnel visions and is like, I'm going to help somebody. Well, but you know what? She says that after James suggests it. And I was kind of looking for that because if you remember in season one, in uh, the end of 117, when Jean and Alex leave and like go on the run and Kara's all upset and like, what am I going to do without you? In 118, she's like turning to anyone who will give her suggestions on what to do. <laughs> yes. And just takes them all. Um, <laughs> and so like <laughs> James offers her advice and she's like, yes, I will do that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he says basically what to distract herself. Yeah. To like focus on her work. And so work. She's like, Nia, Nia's work. I can do work. This is work. Let's do it. Uh <laughs> yeah. She's sort of, I, I see it as killing two birds with one stone where she. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> what a good choice of phrase. <laughs> Where she is accomplishing, like, doing work stuff, but in a way that's very, like, oh, hello, somebody has a problem. And I can maybe fix it. I'm going to drive you all the way home. Kind of also like when her friend dies in Midvale and she's yeah. like, I will find out. Yes. <laughs> it's like, Kara, no one asked you to do this. <laughs> It's okay. You don't have to. But I will. <laughs> We're like in season one when she got involved in Cats. Uh, yeah, that too. But also in season three, when she was at like the height of her depression and sort of detachment, she was funneling everything into being Supergirl and just helping people in that way. And yeah, that's true. Had no time for it. It's, that's sort of the like negative version of this coping mechanism where you abandon all other aspects of your life in order to focus on the one thing that will make you feel like you're making progress useful somehow and yeah well and the other thing i want to point out is there were actually a bunch of little kind of nods back to stuff we learned from the midvale episode in this one like they did drop intentionally like the name and they mentioned eliza and then when Kara proposes the road trip that was definitely a little bit of a callback to that because especially the thing about the music and whoever gets to drive hmm. i don't think nia quite knew what kind of risks she was taking with that <laughs> <laughs> Beastie Boys? <laughs> Beastie Boys, but also remember in um, the end of Midvale, Alex, when they're on the way home, she's like, I'm going to drive because you nearly killed us twice on the way here. Um, I'm glad we got that little insight because I'm like, I could see Kara potentially being like a really good driver, but also potentially a really distracted driver yeah. because she just is aware of so much other stimuli and also like, even if something happened, she wouldn't get hurt. <laughs> so Kara's like, Nia, you have a problem? Cool. Maybe it'll just distract me from my problem and then yes. it's like the same problem but not <laughs> right <laughs> and Kara's like well this is helping-ish well, I feel like Kara might like to sort through process her feelings about things by helping people with similar issues she does but then sometimes she accidentally like sees similarities where things aren't quite similar <laughs> right well sometimes I think that's like an issue with them trying to stretch the theme of an episode no 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 sometimes it's really on purpose like when she was like family's always worth it oh, like yeah. encouraging lena to go like reconcile with her mom it's like no cara some people's families are bad that absolutely <laughs> although like for instance in the parasite episode the first one we had yeah where it was called changing and alex came out and goes like sometimes it's good to change <laughs> sometimes it's, <laughs> sometimes it's not <laughs> looking at a parasite i'm like this is a stretch oh, <laughs> this feels like more like a writing thing than a, yeah, a car thing. Than a character choice thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. But at least... <laughs> but the, the Lena situation is definitely very character true. And that's true of Kara where she likes to source her own experiences and very directly in order to help people and give them advice. Like, this was true for me, therefore. And she has a lot of uh, sort of turbulent experiences and does know how to handle quite a few things, but... She does. In situations like with Lena, it sort of missed the mark. But sometimes, and this is sometimes also where she's had traditionally weaknesses as a journalist, she doesn't wait until she has enough information before she makes a judgment call. Yeah. Which is relevant to this episode as well. It is relevant to this episode because of a thing that happens near the end. <laughs>
But before we move forward to that, we have to call attention to our other favorite classic Kara coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. which is food. Yes. She was delightfully holding two donuts in her hand. There was a little bit of a script supervisor flub, though, because at one point, one donut had a bite out of it, but Uh, then she put it back on the plate and it was fine. (laughs) Super <laughs> she just super fast ate one, picked up another, and then put them back. <laughs> yes, it's fine. That's how she copes, Vivi. <laughs> yeah, and she like wasn't aware that she was holding two. And I like when she left and excused herself to go wash her hands. She just took the whole yeah. plate of donuts with her. Yeah, <laughs> that was hilarious to me. Like I half registered it the first time I watched, and then the second time it was like, oh my god, Cara, those were just hers. Did she just bring those? She didn't bring those for the office. She just brought them into James's office with her. Like those were just for. Her her <laughs> oh my god it was beautiful and she, um, she was so appalled when Mackenzie was like i don't eat carbs or dough or whatever <laughs> or breakfast, or breakfast. <laughs> and car was like what's wrong with you <laughs> and then left took all our donuts <laughs> which is kind of similar to your point in the thanksgiving episode oh yeah she had the entire container of like potatoes <laughs> all to her and was just eating straight out of the container mm-hmm. <sighs> oh cara oh cara and then to go to our other sister who has reasons to cope, Alex refers to the Terminator movie as comfort food. For the brain, I guess. <laughs> yes. Or the eyeballs. and Or both. <laughs> but she's like, I'm talking to Kara. This will translate. Exactly. I wonder, too, if we'll get some insights into, like, random, like, food kind of things that Alex has forgotten or... Huh. Yeah. I still would like to know how much of Alex's highly specific technical, scientific, and medical knowledge is missing. Yeah. That feels important. <laughs> it does. Well, that's one of the things. It's like, what kinds of memories? Well, but yeah. Like, does she not know things like facts about the world? Oh, or does she just not remember, like, why she felt the need to learn them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because if you go all the way back to even when she talked about being recruited to the DEO, she was like, I was doing research specifically because of Kara. Mm. Well, Eliza still knows all of those things. Yeah. So speaking of that, <laughs> we started seeing some pretty noticeably large changes yeah. in Alex's personality within probably the first 20 minutes or so of the episode. Yeah. And then they just keep coming. <laughs> and then it's it's like a snowball. They just keep getting bigger. In terms of how I've been conceptualizing Alex's situation where her the loss of her memories are affecting like who she is, because they could have gone the other route where she still feels the same way but doesn't remember why, but these are very clearly affecting her behaviors and and the way she thinks about things. Yes, although we do get glimpses throughout the episode that there are moments where she feels things and doesn't know why. Yes. And then just kind of like brushes it off and keeps going. Which is very interesting. So there's this concept of the self schema, a psychological concept. So the self schema refers to a long lasting and stable set of memories that summarize a person's beliefs, experiences, and generalizations about the self in specific behavioral domains. So Alex has, everybody has, a a collection of memories that we associate with specific things that we believe about ourselves. So like, let's say I remember how I behaved as a kid in school and and social interactions and how successfully they went. And then in parties later on in life, and I might have a view of myself as a social person or a non-social person. But then if you take away those memories, when I sort of go to refer back to my self schema, referring to how sociable I am, if there's nothing there, I'm at a loss in a way, which is what I think is happening with Alex. Yes, it definitely is. Because, and we've talked about this before in the podcast about how much of the way Alex interacts with the world is directly affected by the fact that she looks at the most powerful, potentially dangerous, strong person on the planet. And it's like, I've seen you hiding under a kitchen table. <laughs> like, you're a baby. Yes. Let me hug you. It's particularly, and Jean recognizes, you know, going back to adolescence, which is a primary time of sorting out your identity as you become an adult and kind of like trying on different characteristics and like seeing what sticks. And, you know, we know Alex like went through a punk rock phase and like all that <laughs> other stuff. Like all of that's a really normal part of being a teenager. But sometimes like the relationships that you form with your friends or your family or whoever at that period in your life, those really 
really stick with you too and can shape who you are as a person. And Alex's closest, you know, relationship to a person other than her mother was Takara. And her sense of scale of like, what's a serious problem or like, what's scary or like, what's an emergency is set based on those experiences <laughs> with Kara, which is why like in season one, when Kara sets her clothes on fire, Alex's reaction isn't like, oh my God, we're going to die. <laughs> she walks out to the kitchen, like walks, doesn't even run and just gets the <laughs> fire extinguisher and puts out the fire. Like no normal person would do that <laughs> unless that was their normal. Like, yeah. And now that's not there anymore. So like some of that element of, you might be able to call it fearlessness, but also the idea of being a little bit worried but pushing past it anyway because you have to yeah is gone and it you see it in the way alex is like why are these things not working right yeah and it's funny because we just had that elseworld example where we got the sort of yeah. demonstration that alex didn't have that same kind of assertiveness yep and it comes up repeatedly throughout the episode first you get the little flash of her being frustrated that her interrogations of just like the obnoxious college students didn't go as smoothly as she was expecting them to <laughs> and she's like well this feels weird something's wrong and then later she gets frustrated because she didn't connect the dots on the fact that people would be interested in buying this drug even though they'd had that whole conversation at thanksgiving about if people have powers you know they'll feel empowered and also then didn't anticipate the connection to like the children of liberty going after it because all of the things that would make her think that were missing too yeah and specifically with the interrogation example research has shown that if you think of yourself in a certain way, if you have a positive self schema for something that you're more likely to perform well at it. So if Alex has this self perception that she can handle literally anything. <laughs> yeah, literally anything. Then that bleeds into everything that she does. And she, for instance, becomes a great interrogator. But then if she kind of loses that self-perception, it's not as easy for her to achieve that. And it all ties in really nicely to Alex's ongoing arc of identity and finding herself. In so many ways, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting, though, that Alex does, at least at first, not only seem to sense that something's kind of off, but has like doctor brain about it. And it's like, it happened after this. And it's directly tied to when I had the truth seeker thing. And ever since then, something's been wrong. And like, Sean and Brainy are a little taken aback that she has connected <laughs> those two things in her brain. And I'm like, but she would. Yeah. <laughs> like, that makes sense. Especially knowing that she's like a doctor. It's like, huh, what's the only thing that's been odd in my life lately? Like, oh, a <laughs> Yeah. Weird, like, octopus alien stabbed my hand. Like, um, <laughs> I also pointed out that I liked the fact that they showed that it had scars because of the tie into the Harry Potter thing with Haley kind of being umbridgey because you had the whole conflict where she was arguing with Harry over what was the truth and she made him use that quill that cut his hand and left a scar. Yeah. So it was very cute though that as soon as she gets upset, she calls Jean. Yeah. Although Jean is like, oh no, <laughs> I'm getting tangled up in this web of lies. Yeah. <laughs> His situation is interesting because like, yeah, you do one thing that goes against your values and then you're pulled into all these. This is what we call the foot in the door approach. <laughs> they get you once and then it's just they start pushing for more. <laughs> <laughs> Who are they? <laughs> Alex. Alex. <laughs> like he's ever gonna say no. <laughs> yeah. Poor Jean. Poor Jean. He just wants to be a good space dad. and He does. Those children and those puppy dog eyes when they need help. And he's like, yes, I will do the thing. <sighs> Although it was interesting that Jean's instinct, again, when he realized what was going on with Alex was, well, I will just lie to her. <laughs> like that never yeah. led to problems previously. Uh. Um, oh, Jean. Yeah. Although, I mean, I, it's like, I get why Alex <laughs> would be okay with it. So she would. Yeah. There's that, but no, but actually it kind of goes back to in season two when he did the whole thing and deceived her. And then they had that conversation about, can we please stop doing this? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens if and when she finally figures out what all has gone on. Yeah. But yeah, so Jean says to Brainy, like, well, maybe to put her at ease, it can, you know, do like a placebo effect where like, I'll tell her either nothing's wrong or that like I checked and did something. Yeah. So that she'll think everything's fine and maybe let this go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
which seems to mostly work. It makes her feel better, but also she didn't seem initially very, like, pleased. Because she phrases it like, I just need to know that I'm not crazy or or that I'm okay. Like, one of these... <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's uh, the other important thing there is like she's reassured when he tells her that she's fine, and it's because she trusts Jean, and that hasn't changed. But then you contrast that at the end of the episode where she explicitly says to Kara that Supergirl's word isn't good enough hmm. in evaluating what happened at like the scene of the Harvest Festival, yeah. and that she needs to gather all of the facts. Which reminds me of the situation where Kara wasn't buying into what Jean was saying about hate crimes earlier on the season. Mm. True. And Alex sort of endorsed Jean's experience and, and how she trusts him and he's not one to like just make this up. And so it's sort of interesting that we saw that situation where Jean has kind of this inside information and like like an instinct for when there's like hate at play mm. to this situation now where Alex doesn't trust Supergirl, who is sort of leaning toward believing that the aliens aren't like hostile. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too related to the gathering facts is we had that situation where Kara didn't finish gathering all the facts before she wrote her article about Amade. Yeah. And that backfired. So I'm sure we'll be seeing this again <laughs> in multiple yeah. other contexts well, as we keep going. It is the reporting season, so the truth is probably important, which is funny because right now they're trying very hard to hide it. <laughs> But yeah, to focus on kind of the conclusion of the Kara and Alex conflict, which parallels Nia's situation with her sister, we have Alex show up independently at the Harvest Festival with the DEO. She comes in with this very kind of early season one mindset of like, secure the situation, stop the aggressors, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so we see the girl, Bobby, who is with the like drug dealers in the van. She takes that rage pill and, and starts going after specifically the Children of Liberty. She doesn't seem to attack anybody but them. But then some alien citizens come in and try to like restrain her, basically just keep her from moving or doing anything, likely associating her with the Children of Liberty because she has the same effect going on her at the time. She had the same rage, power, and strength. And then Alex comes in and she notably has a gun that appears to use actual bullets. Yeah, which she hasn't done since season two. Yeah, and if you recall in the previous episode... She did not care for the fact that Colonel Haley suggested bringing regular guns back in. Yeah, she was strongly against it, but now seems to be falling in line with that direction. And she sort of escalates the situation more quickly than I would perhaps expect. Although it's not the first time that Alex, as we know her, has escalated a situation. For instance, with Purity in season three, she says, let her go. This is your final warning. And then we see Kara come in, Supergirl, burns Alex's gun out of her hand, which was interesting because Kara this whole time has been upset about hurting Alex. The way that she phrases it when she talks to Nia is, I know how hard it is to hurt your sister. So, And she's very shocked at what had just happened. And then they have that sort of argument where, as you had pointed out to me, they kind of both have half information. Yeah, so they're both wrong, but they're also both right. And the reason that everything's off is because they obviously haven't communicated with each other at any point yeah. throughout this whole conflict. And so Kara's a little bit taken aback, but doesn't quite know what to do because Kara's read of the situation wasn't totally right either because she didn't know that that kid wasn't part of the problem. Mm -hmm. She, like the other aliens, assumed that she was associated with the Children of Liberty. And then on the other hand, Alex refers to the alien as volatile. Like she says, I was containing a volatile alien. Meanwhile, the alien was mostly just kind of holding the girl in place. So it's interesting we see in the situation when Alex later on sort of explains how she perceived the situation and she sort of empathizes with the human girl more so. But it's interesting though because the reason she initially something clicks and she empathizes with that girl was when she hears the brother explain that the sister went after them for him. <laughs> I mean, it's because of the other things that Alex says, but the thing that clicks with the recognition because she gives this really puzzled like, well, why would she go after them? That didn't compute for her like at all. And then he's like, well, because they beat me up 
up and then she's like something registered in there subtly but she's also feeling literally she says i feel vulnerable and then in the little speech she gives to supergirl about how this girl is feeling she says that she feels vulnerable and powerless and then she says that that makes you angry that makes people angry all of those words are definitely coming from somewhere deep inside (laughs) (laughs) yes so this whole situation has put alex like on edge and feeling not like herself and feeling like she's not in control of whatever is happening well and you pointed out to me because you laughed like they took away alex's kind of anxiety on in one place (laughs) and it's like it's manifested in a different way (laughs) like it's not gone exactly i actually really did like the heart of kind of the character beats of this conflict and it was interesting because jessica queller was one of the writers credited on this episode and she was also credited on falling Mm. from season one among others and she frequently tends to do episodes that really probe into those places where Kara and Alex are different and like where they will kind of come into contention with each other. Yeah, which is fun. <laughs> I quite enjoy those kinds of episodes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this isn't the first time that we've seen Alex feeling vulnerable and then lashing out because of it. No. It still feels like <laughs> Alex in some ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you had made that kind of comparison to the Red Kryptonite situation where we saw Kara lash out at Alex. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the thing that happens when the filter is taken away by whatever. Yeah. Something. <laughs> Things that maybe you feel but you don't say will start bubbling up to the surface. And like now that Alex is looking at Supergirl and doesn't think like, oh, that's Kara. Some of the stuff that's probably been in there somewhere (laughs) is like starting to make itself more clear. Hmm. Because she definitely did have a lot of issues with like, you know, feeling the need to keep up and feeling like she wasn't good enough and stuff like that. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that reshapes itself going forward. And Kara refers to how in the past Alex has felt the same kind of thing and voiced it to her mostly in their childhood. So she has a a few reasons to empathize with this girl. And I thought it was interesting how Jean described Alex in this situation. You know, he mentions what we talked about, how Alex grew up with Kara and how that shaped her. He talks about how that formed her perception of the other. And he says that her empathy has shifted, which is kind of key phrasing because I think some people have perceived it as a lack of empathy versus sort of placing it. I think now she's sort of directing it more toward those she thinks are vulnerable in a way that she recognizes on some level in herself as opposed to empathy that she would feel toward people who remind her of Kara. Kara as an alien with powers and who is still vulnerable in many aspects. She describes Supergirl as the curl of steel on the outside and on the in, which sort of struck me as like a a mean version of what she said in season three to Kara for her to be cold and Kryptonian and kind of how Kara was pretending to be at the top of season three. Mm, yeah, true. So it was an interesting phrasing that might affect Kara more than you would initially expect it to because Kara is like a very empathetic person and you wouldn't expect her necessarily to have a self-perception of, oh, I'm cold and the girl of steel and I, I'm unaffected. But Alex doesn't recall the many life or death experiences or comas with Supergirl. <laughs> yes, Kara and her annual comas. <laughs> yes. Quite in the same um, visceral emotional way. Or maybe not at all. We'll have to see how Alex remembers things. But we sort of had a little hopeful glimmer in there in the closing scene of Kara and Jean um, before Alex gets there at Kara's apartment saying, you know, Kara, I have to believe that she's still in there deep down somewhere. Yeah. So Queller and Rovner, the two showrunners for Supergirl, they in an interview, they said that Alex did make the right choice in, in terms of staying at the DEO and making the sacrifice because apparently she will be needed there, which infers to me that Alex... She's still going to be like an ally that they need as opposed to doing like a little bit of a 180. Yeah, she's still going to be someone who fights against likely Haley's end goals or, or how she goes about things. And then in terms of Kara and Alex, Robner said that of course Alex is still Kara's sister so that familial bond is still there. But then he said part of the journey of the rest of the season is her changing relationship with Supergirl. So we may 
see things develop positively, hopefully, between those two. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes over the course of the season or over the course of how many episodes this event is happening in. Well, the other part about that that will be interesting is like Alex is still a pretty perceptive person. So at some point she's going to be like, why are you trying so hard to get me to like you? <laughs> well, like- she. I wonder if Carr will have learned from Lena that situation mm. because Lena clocked her when she was like, hey, so do you want to like make up now? Be my friend again. <laughs> and then so the reason that the Car and Alex's storylines ended up coming together was because we had the kind of book ending sister story of the episode, which was between Nia and her sister Maeve, who we got to meet in this episode. And I am pretty sure we'll see again because they left that relationship dynamic on an equally unfortunate and sour note, hmm. kind of paralleling where Kara feels like she is with Alex right now. Yeah, so Alex and Kara had that fight that ended on a beat where Kara felt that Alex was sort of judging her as an alien in a way. And that we had this fight with Nia and Maeve, who ended up saying that Nia wasn't a real woman. And that dialogue, apparently, Nicole Means, who plays Nia, sat down with the writers and, and worked to make sure that the dialogue was right, felt true to life. What I liked about that storyline was how there was like concrete proof that Maeve was in the wrong. The universe is basically endorsing the fact that Nia isn't in fact, a real woman. She deserves this power of dreams as much as any other woman. So when her sister says that she isn't a woman, it's within the storyline, clearly untrue in a way that just struck me as nice. Yeah, it was really well done as far as addressing all of the issues related to trans identity. And that's one of the ways that we've seen this idea of identity and kind of what you come into the world with that makes you who you are and then what of your experiences help define you after that. So it was a nice furthering of that theme. As for Nia herself, this was a portion of her origin story, and we saw her demonstrate her powers further in a way that you had noted was different than we've seen before. We had seen Nia have sort of flashes of literal things that were about to happen, like the hook that was flying in front of her face, you know, Uh, that was a sign that she should push a hook. (laughs) Whereas in this episode, they were largely metaphorical. Although Nia herself seemed to expect initially when she first was getting the dreams them to be more metaphorical or like have to be deciphered more. What does the hook mean? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Because <laughs> you had first like the hook that was swinging and it's like, is it time? Is it a clock? Ticking? And you're like, no, no, it's a literal hook on a yeah. crane. Like, <laughs> I just had to push the hook. And then we see obviously that she gets these like mini sleeps and just sees what's literally about to happen. And I thought it was interesting how we see Nia who mostly has these sort of active literal dreams that help her to act versus her mother who like paints her abstract paintings of her dreams and they're like metaphorical and she herself plays more of a passive guiding role in the society in the town and her mother in her final scene in the dream sequence as she was dying refers to herself as water and Nia as fire which is interesting in terms of sort of the more passive metaphorical dreaming being like water and Nia who has the more active literal dreams being fire and she wants to be sort of like an activist and out in the action and eventually as we'll see a superhero but it's sort of interesting that we have this connection again with fire when we've talked about with Sean and with Kara, their religions having a connection to fire symbolically in several aspects. So she's part of the team now. And her mother says, and your fire will make you far more powerful than I ever was. So her dreams are possibly also different than her mother's in the sense that, you know, she's having these like mini sleeps and and the quick visions. Yeah, well, and also too, in the conversation that she had with her mom about explaining that you can still feel an energy in a city, even though it's not like plants. Mm. So that could also tie into the fact that her dreams seem to be much more like her taking an active role and that they're much more like literal physical objects and stuff. Mm -hmm. Which suits her personality. Yes. But that dream that I just talked about with Nia's mother, her mother reminded me a lot of like Alora in like the blue dress and like giving her final words and like a mission statement for Nia to take forth that sort of kind of typical origin story moment. Another kind of connection to Kara and how they kind of relate. Their interactions were fun in this episode and sweet. We had some mentor moments that kind of rang true as mentor moments. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, in season one, when Kat would be like, 
I'm going to impart knowledge upon you and it's going to deeply impact you. The scenes with Kara and Nia had that same kind of energy. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Well, and they brought that up early in the season too as well. Yeah, well, it just as Nia is kind of coming into her own in terms of being a superhero felt more potent to me. Kind of like Kat giving Kara superhero advice as opposed to... Oh, yeah. Masking it as job advice, but like, <laughs> no, in this earth-shattering crisis, you should really do this. <laughs> Which takes me to that sort of big moment where Kara revealed her identity. That was a really nice scene, and the nonverbal acting on both parties was really good. Yeah, and I, I like that we got a bit of sort of reasoning on Kara's part, an explanation of why she's telling Nia because people had been anticipating this moment and perhaps wondering reasonably like why one person gets to know but the other person doesn't and and what the distinction is and and Kara here is like I'm telling you this because I think it can help you and I don't think it will harm you because you know you are a hero (laughs) I expect you to go out and start endangering your life (laughs) so you'll be fine it's fine (laughs) but she it's interesting because she still doesn't give like an excess of information when she gives advice car will give people advice by telling them about her personal life and like her experiences but usually like just enough to get the advice through yeah for instance Kara explaining that, oh, I lost my mother when I was young and I wish that I could talk to her now when she was asking Lena if maybe she would want to try to connect to Lillian or get something off her chest with her, but doesn't go into great detail. It's a little bit of withholding. And that was interesting because we also saw Kara kind of recognize when Nia was lying earlier in the episode Mm. because Nia has a dream in the car and then, you know, wakes up, yells, and then is like, no, I didn't have a dream. And Kara like looks at her like, okay. If you say so. If you say so. But then later on, when Nia drops the ink on the ground, yeah, very suddenly Kara kind of looks at her and, and then makes an excuse for her for the other people in the room, covers for her. Which is something that Kara had a buddy who was very good at doing for her. So that was nice. Yeah. But it was kind of nice to see her doing that because this was one of the things I wished that they had gotten into in season two when Kara was trying to figure out like the right approach to take to Monel, and then she like had a conversation with Alex about it, sort of, without ever acknowledging like all the things that Alex did for her. So I'm hoping we'll kind of get that now, maybe. <laughs> Because Alex was absolutely always kind of on it in terms of coming up with, like, excuses for why Kara needed to, like, walk away from a situation or, like, why something was weird or what have you. Well, it's also kind of an example of how Kara isn't as, like, hopeless at it as no. people perceive her as being. She's not, and she never has been, and I wish people had figured that out. Uh, the other thing that was really cool about that scene was that it was deliberately framed to remind you of when she tells Wynn in the first episode yeah. of season one. The colors of her clothing were even very similar. Mm -hmm. And her hairstyle is kind of similar. She was just wearing more layers because they're in Canada now and it's cold. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Kara may not get cold easily, but Melissa does. Yeah, she takes off the glasses and then shoots up in the air and falls back down in a way that was very reminiscent of how she just it fell was, off. It was, but this time she's much better at landing in the Supergirl pose. True, yes. Development. And without cracking the ground. So, like, look at all that progress. <laughs> yes. And also this time, comparing the two scenes we have in the pilot episode, she shares her secret with Wynn because she wants someone to be excited with her and to support her because cause Alex wasn't, wasn't into it. Yeah, because... Alex sure wasn't supportive, (sighs) which makes it a nice loop that she then decides to tell Nia because Nia's sister was equally harsh for the same reason, kind of. Yes. Well, but that actually was also similar too because Nia, the first like big thing that you see her do when she's like, okay, I have these powers and I need to tell people about it is save her sister. Yeah. And Maeve's immediate reaction is to be kind of like upset and feel like her whole life has been turned upside down. Yeah. (laughs) And in the pilot you had, I think people, we've said this before, people forget this. Yeah. Like, Alex obviously was grateful that she didn't die. <laughs> but when she finally shows up and Kara is so excited, Alex's immediate reaction is, well, never do this again. <laughs> and it's definitely not the reaction Kara is expecting at all. And it's like in The Simpsons when they look at the videotape of Ralph, his <laughs> heartbreaking. <laughs> 
that image has been getting a lot of use <laughs> the past couple weeks. It's absolutely true. <laughs> you can see the exact moment your heart breaks in half. Yes. But in that scene, she's like, yeah. And then Alex is like, no. And then Kara's face crumbles. It's like a sad kicked puppy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that was like a really nice kind of circle, especially given all the different conflicts that were happening in this episode and Kara feeling kind of adrift and at a loss in some ways. Mm, yes. And Nia coming off the heels of loss as well because you had her mother and then her sister says this really, really kind of hateful, hurtful thing to her. Yeah. But then we also had the cool little moment of finding out that Nia's mom had the suit ready yeah. for her. And I was like, that's such like the Superman thing. Like, oh, your mom made your suit. <laughs> it's true. And there was also a lot of kind of Superman-ish stuff in the way Nia described like her mom's coming to Earth. Yeah. It's a farm. Like yeah. Like a farm and yeah. <laughs> So that was kind of fun, the way that that fit into everything. Mm-hmm. And then for the miscellaneous plots that like <laughs> only tangentially fit with the rest of the episode. Yeah. We had James who, um, well, Cara. Well, they interacted. I mean, like. Yes, they did. So that counts. Uh, which was kind of reminiscent of season one again. And well, and also that nice scene they had last season talking about the cult versus yeah. like the way other people see Cara as Supergirl. That's true. Which we again revisited. <laughs> Although this felt, I don't know. Yeah, this felt more like a friend thing. Yeah. And sort of like how James was kind of supportive of Kara when she was feeling low a few times in in season one. It kind of reminded me of that energy. Yeah, true. But while Kara and Nia are gone on their fake assignment, (laughs) while Kara's away and what have you, Mackenzie comes in to move a plot point. And this is that one of her many contacts throughout the worlds of business and art and fashion and whatever else that she knows heard that El Corp's got some sketchy stuff going on in their financials mm. and she wants permission to kind of follow the story. So she comes and asks James since it could potentially be a conflict of interest or make the owner of the magazine angry. <laughs> and it is a conflict of interest. <laughs> oh, it's a number of conflicts. <laughs> there have been many. Many times where there's like concern about what they're doing with their power at Kako. I mean, to a degree, James like endorsing the Guardian back in season two is sort of a conflict of interest. And then he and Kara both writing articles about themselves. <laughs> it's fine. I, w- I want to know like to what degree at least. <laughs> I would like to see the Kako definition of integrity <laughs> and like what that includes. So Mackenzie comes with her information. James says he'll look into it. And then we're all 99 percent sure he's lying to her when he says that everything is above board with the FDA <laughs> with regard to this intriguing genetic testing yeah. whatever that's happening off the books. <sighs> But it's interesting, again, because you see James kind of, especially after he's had all that self-doubt about, you know, his decisions with the Children of Liberty and what have you. Again, he's hesitating. Yeah. And he's like trying to wait and see how to let things unfold before he makes a move too soon. Whereas you still, again, have that contrast of Alex moving immediately without waiting. Mm. And they've been doing that in parallel so far the whole season with their kind of like roles as allies. Hamilton and Burr. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, actually. Like I was thinking that in the back of my mind and I was like James like wait for it wait for it yes Um, (laughs) I had it playing in my head as we were talking (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's very like the Hamilton versus Burr dynamic which is amusing but then the other cool thing we got with James was again we had some more throwbacks to some stuff from season one with super friends and hanging out at Kara's apartment for game night which was fun Uh uh-huh and a scene that really paralleled closely yeah very closely um the game night that they had in season one when James was with Lucy and they were like it was James and Lucy playing taboo against Kara and Wynn yeah and Wynn of course at this point is like in love with Kara <laughs> but and they're also you know they're fairly good friends they've known each other for a while but James and Lucy have this really great rapport and also Lucy is competitive too because she's like really gleeful that they're winning yeah and then she goes on to talk about like Supergirl and how she's not that great but she's like not impressed by Supergirl and like yeah which is kind of comparable to <laughs> where Alex is at the way Alex comes in at the end. Yeah. yeah. Alex is like, by the way, I just figured out today, <laughs> Supergirl's not that great. 
car is sitting there like, oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, Kara. Um, but this time around, James and Lena don't come anywhere near that same degree. And it's funny because Lena's like, well, we have chemistry. So obviously we're going to be good at this. And James is like, uh, but we've only been dating for like not that long. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. And like everyone else is kind of like exchanging giggling eye contact. Like, yeah, this is going to backfire. <laughs> Although I do appreciate on some level the fact that Lena <laughs> – is sitting there with board games and like oh my god that scene was really funny she's like oh we're going to practice because i want to win and i'm like oh okay i see where your personality traits are going later on in the season all right uh, which is a very like strikes me as like a very gryffindor thing of her to do yep and the competitiveness part of it was very weirdly endearing <laughs> Which James clearly agreed with because he was going to talk to her about the journalism thing. And he was like, but you're being so cute right now. I can't. (laughs) Maybe that was part of Lena's plan. Well, he solved it. (laughs) I'm just going to keep rubbing that in because we know that more Luther drama is coming. (laughs) Speaking of, does Luther drama have anything to do with this mysterious phone call we saw at the end of the episode with the uh, Kosnian soldiers as they had a Kara in maybe a coma? <laughs> laying on a table. Yeah, you pointed out that Kasani and Kara gets a coma too. She does. Every Kara gets a coma. That's the only way she can rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently, <laughs> literally, because because <laughs> Kasani and Kara was pushed to uh... well, it was pushed to the limit. Well, it's funny because every other time we've seen her, I have noticed that she always looks a little bit fatigued. Mm, yeah. And so I'm glad, I'm glad to know that I wasn't crazy for thinking that. Um, <laughs> yes. The, the performance was deliberate. Well, see, I just assumed it was that she blew out her powers and then like went into cardiac arrest. Like, yeah, but the way the, the defibrillator reacted to like her body made me think that she was still powered. Also how high oh, they turned no, it no, up. No, 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 no. I know why. They, uh, the prop master who has an Instagram, he posted a picture of it. It's not a normal defibrillator. It's a solar defibrillator. It's their version of the sunbed. Okay. Like, you know how Alex and the DEO have, like, the nice soothing place where Kara can be, like, healed and feel normal? <laughs> they have. <laughs> the Cosmians naturally have a painful high-voltage solar zapper. <laughs> of course. Because <laughs> that uh, makes sense. I'm not, uh, I'm still not sure that, I'm not sold on the, the blowing out powers part. You mean as opposed to she just keeled over? <laughs> I said at one point, I was like, are you sure they were feeding her? Like, <laughs> well. She hasn't eaten. Uh, (laughs) It also didn't do what we know the solar flare to do, which is flare. Oh, you mean like when she burns out her powers? Yeah. So maybe maybe it was a different sort of solar flare. Either that or somebody that I watched with hypothesized that maybe it's whatever they've been experimenting with doing to try to control her. Also possibly true. But it wasn't like she was like wearing any special kind of object or like fighting anything that we hadn't seen her fighting in the previous episode. So I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. But anyway, you had another nifty observation about uh, where we're going with the nature-nurture theme of the season. Ah, uh, yes. We have in Cosney and Kara, a Kara who is living without an Alex and has likely no memory of who Alex is. Well, and also who is essentially like what would have happened if the DEO had taken Kara. <laughs> also true. And then on the other hand, we have Alex currently is without Supergirl, doesn't have that memory of her, has become an Alex who her personality is now mostly of an Alex who didn't know Supergirl or the alien side of Kara. So we're seeing both of our top two leads have a alternate nurturing environment, like a demonstration of it. So um, it's great for studying the characters and, and kind of finding out what makes them tick. The other thing, though, so while this episode was really interesting on a character level and it had a lot of different things going on for a lot of the characters, I at least definitely had a hard time feeling emotionally engaged with it as a whole piece because of the structure and some of the pacing and the ways that the stories were woven in and out of each other sometimes like Nia's part of the story for being such a historic thing that's happening in terms of superhero TV felt like weirdly underwhelming it was very exposition heavy it wasn't actually the focus of the episode it was kind of like the B plot but also 
the A plot. Like that was a little bit strange. And there were just like a bunch of kind of unnecessary, like extra complications thrown into some of the stories to like amp up the drama, but you didn't really need them. Like you could have still had a lot of the same tension with uh, Nia and her sister without just arbitrarily killing the mom by like random poison spider, which no one knew was a thing that would happen there. Well, my perception of that was perhaps that it was purposefully random to set up later on a recognition that Nia shouldn't have been able to do anything anyway, even if she had interpreted the dream correctly. Yeah, no, that from that standpoint, I can understand it. It was just a little bit jarring and kind of clunky. And also the body count of women has has been much higher this season than men so like that just seemed like a kind of it's a typical ish like hero's journey choice but it just felt very out of the blue it was like here we're going to introduce three new characters to you and then just remove them all immediately mm-hmm. so that like i didn't connect well to that just it, it didn't spend enough time on it to really make it work yeah last week i had wondered if we weren't going to get a lot of development regarding what's happening with alex and i kind of wish that that had been the case yeah i i do as well well, honestly, this again is kind of the frustration where sometimes the show blows through interesting stuff too quickly. Like, I would have preferred if they had parceled that out a little bit longer like they did initially with the rain stuff last year. Yeah. Um, and then there would have been more space in this episode to focus on, like, Nia. Yeah, because the whole side plot with, like, the drugs, but they were zapped by Cosney and Kara so that we could, like, remember Cosney and Kara exist. Like, that was kind of clever, but, like, the whole side plot with the drugs and the frat boys and, like... I think the frat boys connecting to the Agents of Liberty was a bit much, like, it was yeah. trying too hard. <laughs> There was too much plot contrivance. And the other thing that was an issue was like none of the main characters were actually driving the action or the choices in the story. It was everybody reacting very passively to like a random plot point dropped into their lap. It, like that part was a little bit eh. And it, this episode to me, I kind of finished and I felt like it was like it was checking a lot of boxes of, okay, character A needs to be here by the time we move into the next part of the story. Character B needs to be here. So like each individual piece worked on one level but when you put them all together it just like the proportion of like what time was spent on what was a little bit eh. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it could have been better if they had weighted differently like which things were the center of the story yeah part of me was wondering if maybe the placement of the break that's upcoming oh yeah had affected the way that they spaced out these storylines sometimes I think Supergirl could actually benefit from moving away from a really traditionally episodic like everything has to happen in this order and like start and conclude in this many minutes kind of setup. and I feel differently <laughs> I know you do <laughs> <laughs> I quite like the episodic I think they do too many arcs they try to do too many on the other end big mm. plots that all interact connect yeah that's that's historically a problem and i'm starting to get nervous that it's gonna be a problem this season as well like i'm hoping that they have learned some lessons every from- year the end of the season reminds me of like reading an essay on an exam by a kid who didn't check the clock mm. until there was like 15 minutes left and they mm. were like oh god i still have to do all of these things and then just like scribble them all down so i was wondering if maybe they had a showrunner on this episode because of how many plots they had to make work within the 45 minute time frame. Yeah. Well, this is something that I sometimes get a little frustrated with when I do kind of the analysis of like speaking time or screen time. The number of named characters who have an impact on the story has grown like exponentially since season one. And it's when you're getting to like 15, 16 or more in an episode and it's not a crossover, that's too many. And it definitely in this episode, I mean, I don't know how much you've seen it, but I know for myself or blogging, I have gotten a lot of questions already from people who are confused because certain story information was not parceled out well, or it wasn't parceled out at all. And like, questions that people had lingering immediately after the end of the previous episode were not addressed or at least not addressed sufficiently or the way they were addressed was a little bit ambiguous so like i don't know (laughs) 
Yeah. So I'm also curious to see like how the tone shift is for the next episode. So that given all of the, the very different tension and stuff that's going on, I'm curious to see how we're going to balance some of the lighter stuff that was in the, the trailer for the next episode. And also I'm curious to see uh, if James kind of calls Carr out on her feelings about vigilantes because she's bringing a new buddy out into her. Oh, well, she has powers, though. True. Yeah, but how does that make her not a vigilante? Well, it's not about the vigilante part. Oh, it's, it's about, about the, the safety thing because, yeah, yeah. Uh, true. <laughs> See, but that's like in her own way. Kara has exceptions. She's like, no humans should do that. It's not safe, except Alex sometimes. <laughs> like- well, we've seen her with like at least Batwoman. Well, she used James as an example of like, Humans can do stuff too, so I think her perception has changed. Yeah, that's true. I think her her opinion on that maybe has shifted somewhat. Kara grows sometimes. <laughs> Kara experiences personal growth. She's gonna be experiencing a lot more of it. <laughs> Whether she likes it or not. Oh, no. All right. So other, like, nice thing before we round this out. (laughs) I was excited, though, for a thing that's definitely going to happen going forward from next episode. This kind of unexpected, like, rift almost that we see with Kara and Alex because of Alex not knowing about Supergirl or that Kara has powers now is actually going to finally allow both of them to go out and make friends and like connect with people who they identify with in like more specific ways. Like she's never had been able to have other friends who are aliens and be like, I am also an alien Hmm. and have like a little like a group of people to hang out with in that way. Yes. Like she had Monel in season two, but Hmm. that was a little bit different. She only had Monel. (laughs) Yeah, but so like she has Nia, she's Brainy, Jean. They have like a squad. Yeah. So maybe now that Alex isn't so constantly thinking about like threats to Supergirl and what new thing is Supergirl doing right now and is Kara okay at this moment or has she been pulverized to the ground by a scary <laughs> alien? We might also get to see her kind of start, you know, building a support network of her own yeah. that doesn't just include Kara. Which is um a thing she needs badly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I joked earlier about how she needs to get out. <laughs> Since season one, it's been like, does Alex have any friends who aren't acquaintances that she knows through Kara? So hopefully we'll get some development on that. I'm also excited to see Jean and Kara and then Jean and Alex and how they yes. all interact. I've always really liked the kind of way that like the Kara, Jean, Alex unit also in, a, in its own way represents like interracial families and i'm curious to see like how that comes into play because i think you're starting to see with the way like jean pointed out alex's empathy has shifted Mm -hmm. i think you're starting to see some of those fault lines that do come up within those kind of family dynamics where like not everybody goes through the same lived experience and so suddenly like you don't relate to each other in in the same kind of way and like we saw it with Kara and jean in terms of like privilege and passing and different kinds of stuff so it'll be neat to see more of that as it kind of comes up in now seeing Jean spending time with each of them individually and then the three of them together. Yeah. Random other thought before we go. That scene at the end where they were doing like the bad Terminator impressions made me think back to the writers of Parks and Rec saying that they would intentionally write scenes for Amy Poehler where she had to do accents because <laughs> oh. they knew she wasn't that good at them and needed practice. Oh, so that they're totally doing that to Melissa. <laughs> 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 well, she's not bad at I almost wonder though if it was like a sneaky thing to make it seem bad so that when we hear the Russian, like it won't be <laughs> yeah, yeah. drastically bad. Like her, actually, it wasn't the the little bit that we've heard her speak actually wasn't terrible. Um, <laughs> like for knowing she's not a native speaker or knows it at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On that note, look for something new from us probably the week of February 10th. Thanks for listening.